I want to start off this morning by asking you, do you know what a blind curve is? It's that bend in the road where as you're coming around that curve, your view is blocked perhaps by trees or by structures, and it can become a source of fear for us because we're unable to see the dangers that lurk ahead that are blocked in our vision. And so in the same way that we also experience blind curves in the road of our lives, that there's these moments of anxiety or uncertainty where we can't see ahead, we can't seem to see Jesus either. And so there's that feeling of, I'm unsure where to go or what God is doing in my life. And so you may have moments where you feel abandoned by God. I don't have any help. I don't have any direction. Where is Jesus? Or you may experience fear. Have I taken a wrong turn in my life? Am I lost? The road ahead seems too uncertain. And so we're tempted to maybe turn back the way we came. And so the question we want to answer this morning is, how do we deal with those blind curves in life when we cannot see the resurrected Christ? If you have a Bible, turn in it to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And the story starts off in verse 13 to 16. There's two people who are walking their own blind curve on the road to Emmaus. You see, they followed Jesus on the freeway to Jerusalem. They placed their hope in a victorious king, but it did not go according to plan. They hit a blind curve, and now he's gone. And so instead of continuing on the path that they were on, the uncertainty ahead causes them to take this nearest off-ramp to turn around and to return home on this road to Emmaus. Meanwhile, a third traveler joins them on the road. This is Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body. But in verse 16, it says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's not just that they don't recognize him. They can't because God is purposely preventing that from happening. Why? There's something that Jesus wants them to see first along this blind curve before he'll reveal his presence to them. And so like these two, we often can't see Jesus when our path takes a painful turn. And we need to remember the big idea for today is that the resurrected Christ is still present even when we cannot see him yet. We may not recognize his presence in our situation, but because he is the son of God, because he died for our sins and rose as savior, we can trust that he's here, that he's powerful, that he cares about us. Now, if Jesus kept their eyes from seeing him, what is it that he wants? Well, further along in the story in verses 17 through 20, Jesus asked them, well, what happened back there in Jerusalem where you came from? Because he wants to draw out what do they really see in this situation? What do they really see about Jesus? And so they start off painfully sharing with him about this one called Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet. Those are literally their words. And they're true, but it's a very limited view. He's more than just a prophet. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the Son of God. And so let's pick up their conversation right there in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. 
They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Let's stop right there for a moment. So in verse 25 and 26, Jesus, uh, Jesus is, is having this frank conversation with them. And we see in verse 21 that they say these specific words. Listen very carefully to what they say. We had hoped. We had hoped that Jesus would be this king to redeem Israel. We use that same emotional language. Think about those times when you had said, we had hoped I would get that job. We had hoped that our marriage would work out. I had hoped that that test would come back negative. And so those words are the past tense of unfulfilled expectations and heartache, of disappointment. My hope is done. And so these two people on the road to Emmaus, they see Jesus as a holy man, a prophet, but as a failed Messiah. Their view of Jesus is too small. And then in verses 22 to 24, their skepticism about the resurrection is very plain and evident. Even though others have commented about what they've seen, they too go in and investigate. And yes, the tomb is empty and other people had a vision, but none of us saw the body. None of us saw Jesus. Why don't they believe? Because their view of their circumstances is too big. Jesus is dead. He was crucified. That's a pretty big obstacle. And so when the road took a hard turn, their vision was blocked because they let the circumstances dictate their perspective and their priorities and their plans. That's exactly why they returned home. And doesn't that happen to us too, that on the blind curves of our lives, when life doesn't go as we planned, we can't see ahead, we can't see Jesus when our eyes are too focused on the circumstances that are right in front of us. I thought that God would provide for me, but now I've been laid off. Where is Jesus? During shelter in place, my home life is in ruins. Where is Jesus? In my sickness, in my loneliness, in my loss, in my disappointment, where is Jesus? And so we have a limited view of Jesus and an elevated view of our circumstances as the blind curve pulls us out of our comfort and our control. But let's read on and see what happens, starting in verse 25. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so we see in, uh, in verse 25 and 26 that Jesus is very frank with them. You're slow of heart to believe the prophecies about the Christ because you think that death is too sharp of a curve in this road. But Jesus declares to them that all the suffering surrounding him is not just a possibility, but a necessity in order to fulfill the scriptures and enter into his glory as resurrected Lord. And so in verse 27, we see that Jesus walks them through all of scriptures to show them that the entire Bible, it all points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
that there are 66 books of the Bible, a lot of stories, but they're all subplot to one, that God became a man and that he would die for our sins and rise as our savior. And in fact, we see that there are over 300 direct prophecies about Jesus as the Messiah, including details about his crucifixion in Psalm 22 and his resurrection in Psalm 16, verse 10. And as a result, as they, their eyes are open to see scripture unfold and point to Jesus, their perspective begins to change. You see, their circumstances seemed big, but now Jesus is much bigger, that he's not absent, that he's not defeated. He fulfills everything that's been written about him, that he's the God who's sovereign over all of history and eternity. And the word of God declares that death and burial were part of the plan. And so resurrection must be also. And so the point here is that we need to see the risen Savior in scriptures before we can see him in the circumstances. That when all we see are these terrifying curves ahead of us, that we have this tendency to focus so much on them, what we need to do is to look back on the record of his word to see that Jesus and his promises are true and fulfilled and faithful, that he had to suffer with me and for me, that it's all part of his plan and his purposes, and that he's also still here with me and for me as resurrected Lord, and that that's how we trust him. That's how we experience him. Let me put it to you this way. When my older son, Indigo, was four years old, he would wake up crying in the middle of the night, terrified because he couldn't see his mom and dad. And so I got into this practice of going over the same truths with him night after night after night. Where's Papa when you go to to bed at night? You're sitting, reading on the couch right next to my room. And then where's Daddy when, when I go to sleep? In the room right across the hall from you. And when you wake up, did we keep you safe throughout the night? And of course, the answer is always yes. And as we recount the stories of how I'm present and faithful in the past, he learns to trust that I'm faithful and present in the dark, even in the moments when he cannot see me. And I know this has been a very challenging year for many of us, that there are times that it's really hard in order to see Jesus. And I want to encourage you, remember the story of scriptures that as we see the risen Savior has been present and faithful in the past in fulfilling all of these prophecies, that we can trust he's faithful and present in the dark, in those moments when you cannot see him physically. Remember to see his faithfulness in his word. Then in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as, as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked, while he talked to us on the road? while he opened up us, uh, opened to us the scriptures. And I'm going to read one more verse that's not on the slides. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem.
So in verses 28 and 29, as they're approaching their home, Jesus kind of stops them and says, well, I guess this is your stop. See you around. And this is a pivotal moment in the story. Their minds have been open to the reality of Jesus and his resurrection. And the question is, what are they going to do with that? Well, it's been a long day. It's been a long hike. We have an extra room in our home. Why don't you stay with us? You see, they wanted to learn more about Jesus. They want to hear more about him. And so in verse 30, they invite him in. And they invite him to bless and break the bread at their dinner table, which is an unusual honor uh, for a stranger. And then in verse 31, it says that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. There's something about this guy. Does he remind you some of how Jesus used to pray to God as his father? Or does it rem- he remind you of how Jesus used to bless and break the bread when he fed the 5,000 that one time? Or perhaps they caught a glimpse of nail-scarred hands as it passed bread to them. Now the question is, what is it about this moment? Why is Jesus unveiling himself now? What has changed? Verse, look at this. Before they were slow of heart, but now in verse 32, our hearts are burning. That only after they receive and believe the truth about Jesus, that their hearts burn with excitement and with worship. It's true. Jesus is alive. He's risen. It's only after they took this step of faith to invite him in because they're hungry to know more about this one who is prophesied to die for their sin and to rise for their salvation. Then, and only then, does Jesus allow them to recognize him, to realize that he's been there all along. You see, later on in verse 33 to 35, after they encounter Jesus, they're going to turn around and they're going to head back to Jerusalem with the comfort and courage of this good news about the risen Christ. Because now they have seen Jesus, now that they have Jesus, the one whom death could not hold, because now their fear has turned into faith. And I wonder, what if that could happen to you? that as you encounter these blind curves in your life, that Jesus reveals himself to those who respond to him in faith, that as we come to trust that all that's foretold in the Bible is fulfilled in Jesus, what if he's simply waiting for you to invite him into your home, into your heartaches, just like these two people? A woman came to our church once in tears, heartbroken. And as I had a conversation with her, she began to share with me that her husband was a drunk, cruel to her, been sleeping around, and her marriage seemed over. Her life seemed over. Where is Jesus in this? And so I prayed with her and shared with her as uh, from the word of God a little bit, but wanted to, wanting to remind her that I know that your pain seems so big but I want you to know there's a God in heaven whose hands are much bigger. And after a few months of coming to our church and exploring her faith, she came to believe that all the Bible is fulfilled in this risen Jesus. And so she began to say things like, well, he must be real 
And I wonder if he can do what he promises, what he says he can do in my life. And I want you to see in her story that Jesus doesn't change her circumstances, but he starts to change her. That as she experienced forgiveness for her sins, she became convicted that in turn she wanted to be able to forgive her husband's sins, to give the same grace that she herself had received, even when this man did not deserve it from her. And as she, by a step of faith, forgave her husband in her heart for the wrongs that he had done and for the wrongs that he continued to do, it's like her heart started to feel like it became unclogged and she experienced this immense freedom. And so she started to trust and invite Jesus even into those blinding moments of pain where he would give her peace and kindness and gentleness toward her husband, even when he was expressing the exact opposite. And as she changed, her husband began to notice and it began to affect him too. But here's the point that as she was traveling on her own blind curve, as she died to herself and her own rights, she began to rise up because she saw and experienced the power and the presence of the risen one. Now, can Jesus change our circumstances? Certainly he can. And he does when it's for our good. But his primary goal is to change us that we might know Jesus and experience Jesus as risen Lord, that like these two travelers, we discover that he's there all along, even in our painful blind curves, that his presence and his power give us comfort and courage to move forward, even through this blind curve that we're experiencing. And I want to remind you that all of us are on a collision course with a blind curve. That some of you are even there today and you're whispering those same words as these two travelers. I had hoped that life would go differently. I had hoped my life would be this way. But now it's curved in a different direction than I expected. And so there's uncertainty on the road ahead. And you cannot see Jesus. But then Easter comes. And we are reminded that we are not alone, that there is a God in heaven who lives, who is present, who is powerful, who cares about us, who has not abandoned us. And our hope lies in this historical fact, that Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead so that every single person, regardless of where you started in life, can have forgiveness for our past, a brand new start, and hope for a future. And so as we wrap up, I wonder, what if you were bold enough and humble enough to respond and receive this risen Lord? What would happen if you trusted that all that's foretold in the Bible is fulfilled in Jesus? And what if, even if you're already a believer, you invited the resurrected Christ into your home, into your challenges, into your disappointments this morning? Perhaps he'd open your eyes to see that he is already here. And perhaps he might give you the comfort and the courage that you need to face the challenge ahead. And for some of us, you need to invite the risen Christ into your life for the very first time. To pay for your sins. To be Lord over your life. So that you can begin the miracle of an eternal 
abundant life here and now. You need to make the most important decision of your life on this most important day in all of history. But either way, you'll know that this Easter you trusted Jesus for something that you asked by faith for his resurrection presence and power to come into your situation and change your direction. No matter what kind of blind curve you're experiencing. And cynics will tell you it'll never happen. But I want to say to you that greater things have happened on this day. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the resurrection of Jesus, that it's not just a footnote in history, but your power at work today, that if we're humble enough and have even a tiny seed of faith to believe, your power can help us, that you will. And so we gather because we believe in the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, that he's near, that he is here. And we hang on to that promise, that that same resurrection power that kicked out the door on a borrowed tomb, that raised Christ from the dead, that upset all of history, that turns our world upside down and turns our lives right side up, has come to us today. And so we trust you and we praise you for the greatest display of love and hope in all of history at a cross and at an empty tomb. And so we pray for your blessing upon your people in the name of Jesus. Amen.